Chapter Ten of Coled, A Tale of Arabia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Coled, A Tale of Arabia by Francis Marion Crawford. Chapter Ten. The Sheik of the Beggars was an old man, blind from his childhood, but otherwise strong and full of health, delighting in quarrels and swift to handle his staff. He had at first become a beggar, being still a young man, for his father and mother had died without making provision for him, and he had no brothers. As he boasted that he was of a pure blood of the desert on both sides, the other beggars jeered at him in the beginning, calling him Ibn el-Sheik in derision, and sometimes stealing his food from him. But he beat them mightily, the just and the unjust together, since he could not see, and acquired great consideration amongst them, after which he behaved generously, giving a share with the rest for the common good, and something more. His companions learned also that his story was true, and his blood was as good as any, from Ashman to Alcara, for a Bedouin of the same tribe as Abdullah, the husband of Almasta, came to see him not less than once every year, and called him brother, and filled his sack with barley. This Bedouin was a person of consideration also, as the beggar saw from his having a mare of his own, provided with a good saddle, and from his weapons. In the course of time, therefore, the blind man grew great in the eyes of his fellows, until they called him Sheik, respectfully and waited on him when he performed his ablutions, and he obtained over them supremacy as great as was Khaled's over the kingdom he governed. He was very wise also, acquainted with the interpretation of dreams, and able to recite various chapters of the Koran. It was even said he was able to distinguish a good man from a bad by the sound of his tread, though some thought he only heard a jingling of coins in the girdle, and judging by this, having a finer hearing than other men. At all events, he was often aware that a person able to give alms was approaching, while his companions were talking amongst themselves and noticed nothing, though they had eyes to see, being mostly only cripples and lepers. On a certain day in the spring, when the sun was beginning to be hot and not long after Khaled had told Zahawa his story, many of the beggars were sitting in the eastern gate, by which the great road issues out of the city towards Hassa. They expected the coming of the first pilgrims every day, for the season was advancing and now they sat talking together of the good prospects before them, and rejoicing that the winter was over, so that they would not suffer any more from the cold. "'There is a horseman on the road,' said the sheik of the beggars, interrupting the conversation. "'O oh, you to whom Allah has preserved the light of day, look forth, and tell me who the rider is.' "'It is undoubtedly a pilgrim,' answered the young beggar, who was a stranger, but had found his way to Riyadh without legs. No man knew how. "'Ass of Egypt,' replied the sheik reprovingly. Do pilgrims ride at a full gallop upon steeds of pure blood? But though your eyes are open, your ears are deaf with a sleep of stupidity from which there is no awakening. That is a good horse, ridden by a light rider. Truly a man must itch to be called Haji, who gallops thus on the road to Mecca. Then the others looked, and at last one of them spoke, a hunchback having but one eye, but this one was keen. O Sheikh, he said, rejoice and praise Allah, for I think it is he whom you call your brother, who comes in from the desert to visit you. If that is the case, I will indeed give thanks, answered the blind man, for there is little in my barley sack, less in my wallet, and nothing at all in my stomach. Allah is gracious and compassionate. The hunchback's eye had not deceived him, and before long the Bedouin dismounted at the gate and looked about until he saw the sheik of the beggars, who indeed had already risen, to welcome him. When they had embraced, the Bedouin led the blind man along in the shadow of the eastern wall until they were so far from the rest that they might freely talk without being overheard. Then they sat down together, and the mayor stood waiting before them. "'Oh, my brother,' the Bedouin began, 
Was not my mother the adopted daughter of your uncle, upon whom be peace? And have I not called you brother and filled your barley sack from time to time these many years? This is true, answered the sheik of the beggars. Allah will requite you with seventy thousand days of unspeakable bliss for every grain of barley you have caused to pass my teeth. Be constant in prayer and in giving alms, says the holy book, and you shall find with Allah all the good which you have sent before you for your souls. And it is also said, Give alms to your kindred, and to the poor, and to the orphans. I am also grateful for all you have done. My gratitude shows as a palm tree in the garden of my soul, which is irrigated by your charity. It is well, my brother, it is well. I know the uprightness of your heart, and I have not ridden hither from the desert to count the treasure which may be in store for me in paradise. Allah knows the good as well as the evil. I have come for another purpose, but tell me first, what is the news in this city? Are there no strange rumors afloat of late concerning Khaled, the sultan? In each man's soul there are two wells in the blind man. The one is the spring of truth, the other the fountain of lies. You are wise and full of years, said the Bedouin, and I understand your caution, for I also am not very young. But here we must speak plainly, for the time is short in which to act. A sandstorm has darkened the eyes of the men of the desert. They are saying that Khaled is a shia, a Persian, and a robber and that he must be overthrown, and the man of our own people made king in his stead. I have heard such a rumor. It is more than a rumor. The tribes are even now assembling towards Riyadh, and before many days are past, the end will come. Abdullah is the chief mover in this, but with your help, my brother, we will make his plotting empty and his scheming fruitless as a twig of gada stuck in the sand, which will neither strike root nor bear leaves. When the sheik of the beggars heard that he was expected to give help in frustrating Abdullah's plans, he was troubled and much astonished. Shall the blind sheep go out and fight the lion? he inquired tremulously. Even so, replied the Bedouin, unmoved, and moreover, without danger to himself. Hear me first. Abdullah and his tribe will encamp in the low hills in a few days, as usual, but somewhat earlier than in the other years, and a great number of other Bedouins will be in the neighboring valleys at the same time. Then Abdullah will come into the city openly and go to his house with his wife and his slaves, and during several days he will receive the visits of his friends and return them, and go to the palace and salute Khaled, as though nothing were about to happen. But in the meantime he will make everything ready, for it is his intention to go into the palace at night, disguised in a woman's garment, with his wife, and they will slay Khaled in his sleep, and bind Zahawa, and distribute much treasure among the guards and slaves, and before morning the city will be full of Bedouins all ready to proclaim Abdullah Sultan and you alone can prevent this. But the blind man laughed in his beard. This is a good jest, he cried. You have sought out a valiant warrior to stand between the sultan and death. I am blind and old, and a beggar, and you would have me stand in a path of Abdullah and a thousand armed men. They would certainly laugh, as I do. Let me take with me a few lepers and the Egyptian jackass without legs, who has flown among us lately like a locust out of the clear air. Verily, their strength shall avail against the lances of the desert. This is no jest, my brother, answered the Bedouin gravely. Neither I nor a hundred armed horsemen with me could do what you will do unhurt. But I will save Khaled, for in the battle of the past before we came to Hayal last summer, when I had an arrow in my right arm and a spear thrust in my side, certain dogs of Shamars encompassed me, and darkness was already descending upon my eyes when Khaled rode in like a whirlwind of scythes, and sent four of them to hell, where they are now drinking molten brass like thirsty camels. Then I swore by Allah that I would defend him in the hour of need. Why do you not then lie in wait for Abdullah yourself, and slay him as he passes you in the dark? Is he not the sheik of my tribe? How then can I lay a hand on him? But I have thought of this during many nights in my tent, and you alone can do what is needed. 
"'Surely this is folly,' said the sheik of the beggars. "'You have met a hot wind in the desert, and your mind is unsettled by it. "'I pray you come with me into the city, to my dwelling, and take some refreshment. "'Or at least let me send to the well for a drink of water.' "'My head is cool, and I am not thirsty, nor is the hot wind blowing at this time of the year. "'Hear me. I will tell you how to save Khaled from destruction, and you shall receive more gold than you have dreamed of. "'And a house, and rich garments, and a young wife of a good family to comfort your old age.' for the deed is easy and safe, but the reward will be great, and you alone can do the one and earn the other. I perceive, said the blind man, that you are indeed in earnest, but I cannot understand what I can do. We know that Khaled is forewarned, for it is not many days since he summoned the chief men in Riyadh with the Cadi to the palace, and refused to tell them the name of his father, but said if they attacked him, he would kill as many of them as he could. I did not know this, answered the Bedouin, but the knowledge does not change my plan. Now hear me. You are the sheik of all the beggars in Riyadh. May Allah send you long life and much grain. They are an army, and you are a captain. Moreover, the beggars are doubtless attached to Khaled by his generosity, and all of you say in your hearts that under Abdullah there may be more sticks and less barley for you. This is true, but then, my brother, it is otherwise with you, for you are of Abdullah's tribe, and will have honor and riches if he is made sultan. How then is my advantage also yours? And did not this Abdullah in the first place divorce with Igdami, his second wife, who was my kinswoman, being the daughter of my father's sister? And has he restored the dowry as the law commands? Truly his new wife is even now sitting upon my cousin's carpet. And secondly, Abdullah made himself sheik unjustly, for our sheik would be Abdul Karim's son. Yet you accept Abdullah and promise him allegiance. Does the camel say to his driver, I do not like to carry a load of barley. I would rather bear a basket of dates. Eat what you please in your tent. But dress as other men, says the proverb. Hear me, for I speak wisdom. Abdullah will come to the city and go to his house, intending to prepare the way for evil. And he will walk about the streets as usual, without attendance, both because he knows that the people are mostly with him, and also in order not to attract notice. But Abdullah is the spring from which all this wickedness flows. He is the chief camel whom the others follow, the coal and the ashes by which the fire is kept alive, the head without which the body cannot live. Dry up the spring, therefore, let the chief camel fall into a pit suddenly, extinguish the coal, strike off the head, let them ask in the morning, where is he, and let him not be found anywhere. Then the people will be amazed, and will not know what to do, having no leader. This is for you to do, and it can be easily done. What folly is this? asked the blind man, shaking his head. How can I do what you wish? It is very easy, for I know that you and your companions are as one man, living together for the common good. Go to the beggars, therefore, and tell them what I have told you, and be not afraid, for they will not betray you. And when Abdullah walks about the city alone, lie in wait for him, for you will easily catch him in a narrow street, and two or three score of you can run after him begging for alms until he is surrounded on all sides. Then fall upon him, and bind him, and take him secretly to one of your dwellings and keep him there, so that none find him until the storm is past. In this way you will save Khaled in the kingdom. And when all's quiet, you can deliver him up to be a laughingstock at the palace, and to all who believed in him. For there is nothing to fear. And I, for my part, am sure that Abdul Karim's son will immediately be made sheik of our tribe, so that Abdullah will not return to us. You are subtle, my brother, said the sheik of the beggars, smiling and stroking his beard. This is a good plan, being very simple. And Kled will be grateful to us, and honor us beggars exceedingly. Said I not well that the jest was good? Surely it is better than I had thought, and more profitable. I have thought of it long in the nights of winter, 
both by the campfire and in my tent and on the march. But I have told no one, nor will tell anyone until all is done. But as soon as you have taken Abdullah and hidden him, let me know of it. To this end, when we are camped outside the city, I will come every evening to prayers in the great mosque, and afterwards will wait for you near the door. As soon as I know that Abdullah is out of finding, I will spread the report that he is lost, and before long all our tribe will give up the search, being indeed glad to get rid of him. And the rest is in the hand of Allah. I have done what I can. You must now do your share. By Allah, you shall not complain of me, answered the blind man, nor of my people, for the jest is surpassingly good and shall be well carried out. I will therefore go into the city where I have business, said the Bedouin, for I gave a reason for coming alone to Riyadh, and must needs show myself there to those who know me. So the Bedouin filled the blind beggar's sack with barley and dates from his own supply, and embraced him and went into the city. But the sheik of the beggars remained sitting in the same place for some time, at a distance from the rest, in an attitude of inward contemplation, though he was in reality listening to what the hunchback was telling the new cripple from Egypt. The sheik's ears were sharper than those of the other men, and he heard very clearly what was said. This Bedouin, said the hunchback, is a near relation of our sheik, and holds him in great veneration, coming frequently to see him from a considerable distance, and always bringing him a present of food. And you may see by his mare and by his weapons that he is a person of consideration in his tribe, for our sheik is not a negro, nor the son of a Syrian camel-driver, but an Arab of the best blood in the desert, and wise enough to sit in the council of the sultan's palace. You, who are but lately arrived, being transported into our midst by the mercy of Allah, must learn all these things, and you will also find out that our sheik has eyes in his ears, and his fingers and in his staff, though he is counted blind, but you cannot deceive him easily as you might suppose. The sheik of the beggars was pleased when he heard this, and listened attentively to hear the answer made by the Egyptian, whom he did not yet trust because he was a newcomer and a stranger. Truly, replied the cripple, Allah has been merciful and compassionate to me, for he has brought me into the society of the wise and the good, which is better than much feasting in the company of the ignorant and the ill-mannered. And as for the sheik, he is evidently a very holy man, to whom eyes are not in any way necessary, his inward sight being constantly fixed upon heavenly things. The answer did not altogether please the blind man, for it savored somewhat of flattery. But the other beggars approved of the speech, deeming that it showed a submissive spirit, and readiness to obey and respect their chief. Oh, you of Egypt, cried the sheik, calling to him, come here and sit beside me, for I've heard what you said, and desire your company. The cripple immediately began to crawl on the wall, dragging himself upon his hands and body, for he had no legs. He is obedient, thought the blind man, though it cost him much labor to move. When the man was beside him, the sheik took an onion and a date from his wallet, and set them down upon the ground. Eat, he said, and give thanks. The cripple thanked him, and taking the food, began to eat the onion. You have taken the onion in your right hand, and the date in your left, said the sheik, and you are eating the onion first. That is true, answered the Egyptian. I see that my lord has indeed eyes in his fingers. I have, said the sheik, but that is not all, for this is an allegory. All men like to eat the onion first and the date afterwards, for though the onion be ever so sweet and tender, its taste is bitter when a man has eaten sugar dates before it. But you have begun by giving us the mellow fruit of flattery, and when you give us the wholesome vegetable of truth, it will be too sharp for our palates. Ponder this in your heart. Chew it as the camel does her cud and the well-digested food of wisdom shall nourish your understanding. The cripple listened in astonishment at the depth of the sheik's thought, and he would have spoken out his admiration, but it is not possible to eat an onion and to be eloquent at the same time. The blind man knew this, and continued to give him instruction. The onion has saved you, he said, for your mouth being full, you can say nothing flattering, and now you will think before you speak. 
Consider how I have treated you. If I had once rendered thanks to Allah for sending into our midst a young man whose gift of eloquence are at least equal to those of the Kadi himself, I have said nothing so foolish. I have called you an ass of Egypt and otherwise rebuked you for the good of your understanding, though I begin to think that you are indeed a very estimable young man, and it is possible that your wit may ripen in our society. But now I perceive by my hearing that you are eating the date. I pray you now, eat another onion after it. I cannot answer the cripple, for my lips are puckered at the thought of it. Neither is truth sweet after flattery, said the sheik, who then began to eat the other onion himself. I will endeavor to profit by your precepts, my lord, replied the Egyptian. Allah will then certainly enlighten you, my son. Remember also another thing. We are ourselves here a community, distinct from the citizens of Riyadh, and what we do, we do for the common good. Remember, therefore, to share what you receive with the rest, as they will share what they have with you, and take part with them in whatsoever is done by common consent. In this way it may be well with you, and you shall grow fat. But if you are against us, you will find evil in every man's hand, for since it has pleased Allah to give you no legs, you cannot possibly run away. Having said this much, the sheik of the beggars was silent, but afterwards on the same day he gathered about him the strongest of the companions, being mostly men who had the use of both arms and both legs though some of them were lepers, and some had but one eye, and some were deaf and dumb, according to the affliction in which it had pleased Allah to send upon each. These were the most trusty and faithful of his people, and to them he communicated openly what the Bedouin had proposed to him in secret. All of them approved the plan, for they greatly feared the overthrow of Colette. But, said one, we cannot keep this Abdullah forever, and we can surely not kill him, for we should bring upon ourselves a grievous punishment. Allah forbid that we should shed blood, replied the sheep. But when Abdul Karim's son is made sheik of the tribe, Abdullah will probably not wish to go back to his people. Moreover, it shall be for Khaled to judge what shall be done to the man, and he will probably cut off his head. But in the meantime, it is necessary to choose amongst us spies, two for each gate of the city, to the number of twenty-two men, to watch for Abdullah. For we do not know when he will come, and of the two spies who see him enter, both must follow him and see whither he goes, and then the one will immediately inform all the rest, while the other waits for him. From the time he enters the city, he will not be able to go anywhere without our knowledge, and we shall certainly catch him one day toward dusk in some narrow street of the city. The beggars saw that this plan was wise and safe for themselves, and they did as the sheik advised, posting men at all the gates to wait for Abdullah. He was, indeed, not far distant, and before many days he rode into the city toward evening, attended by a few slaves and two Bedouins, his wife Almasta riding in the midst of them upon a camel. His face was not hidden, and the two beggars who were watching recognized him immediately. They both followed him until he entered his own house, and then the one sat down in the street to watch him until he should come out, asking alms of those who accompanied him until they also went in with the beasts. But the other made haste to find the sheik, and to inform him that the Abdullah had come and was now in his own dwelling. It is well, said the blind man. The cat is now asleep and dreams of mice, but he shall wake in the midst of dogs. Abdullah will not leave his house tonight, for it is late, and though he is not afraid in the daytime, he will not go out much at night, lest the secret messenger from Khaled, bearing evil in his hand, should meet him by the way. But tomorrow, before dawn, some of us will wait in the neighborhood of his house, and two or three score of others, feigning to be all blind, as I am, must always be near at hand, watching us. We will then begin to importune him for alms, flattering him with fine language, as though we knew his plans. And this we will do continually while he is abroad until one day, to escape from us, he will turn quickly into a narrow street, supposing that we cannot see him, for he will not wish to be pursued by our cries in the bazaar, lest he is obliged for shame to give something to each. 
Then those who can see will open their eyes, and we will catch him in the lane, and bind rags over his head so that he cannot cry out, and lead him into my dwelling by the Yamama gate. And if any meet us by the way and inquire whom we are taking with us, we will say that he is one of ourselves, who is an epileptic and has fallen down in a fit, and that we are taking him to the farriers by the gate, to be burned with red-hot irons for his recovery, as the physicians recommend in such cases. Surely we have now foreseen most things, but if we have forgotten anything, Allah will doubtless provide. All the beggars in council approved this plan, for they saw that it could be easily carried out. If they can only catch Abdullah in a lonely street at the hour of prayer when few persons are passing. But Abdullah himself was ignorant of the evil in store for him, and feared nothing, having been secretly informed that most of the better sort of people were ready to support him if he would strike the blow. For they suspected Khaled of being a traitor, especially since he had last addressed the chief men and refused to tell him the name of his father. Abdullah therefore came and went openly in the city. In the meantime, however, Khaled was informed of his presence and was warned of the danger. The aged Qadi came secretly by night to the palace and desired to be received by the sultan in order to communicate him news of great importance, as he said. Khaled immediately received him, and the Qadi proceeded to give a full account of Abdullah's designs, but the sultan expressed no astonishment. Let him do what he will, he answered, for I care little, and, after all, what must be, will be. But I beseech you to consider, said the Qadi, that by acting promptly you can easily quell this revolution, in which I, by Allah, have no part and will have none. For though many persons may just now desire your overthrow, because they expect to get a share of the treasure in the confusion, yet few are disposed to accept such a man as Abdullah ibn Muhammad al-Harir in your place. Even his own tribe are not all faithful to him, and I am credibly informed that many look upon him as an intruder, and would prefer the son of Abdul Karim for sheik, as would be just, if the rights of birth were considered and it would be an easy matter to remove this Abdullah. I implore you to think of the matter. Would this not be murder? asked Khaled, looking curiously at the venerable preacher. Allah is merciful and forgiving, replied the old man, looking down and stroking his beard. And moreover, if you suffer Abdullah to go about a few days longer, he will certainly destroy you, whereas it is an easy matter to give him a cup of such good drink as will save him from thirst ever afterwards, and you would obtain quiet and the kingdom would be at peace. They shall not find me sleeping, said Khaled, and so that I may only slay a score of them first, I care not how soon I perish. This is indeed a new kind of madness, exclaimed the Qadi. I cannot understand it, but I have done what I could, and I can do nothing more. Nor is there anything more to be done, said Khaled, but I thank you, for it is clear that you have spoken from a good intention. So the Qadi went away, and Khaled returned to Zahawa, caring not at all whether he lived or died. But Zahawa began to watch him narrowly. If this man were a Persian, an enemy, and a traitor, she thought, he would now begin to take measures for his own safety, seeing that he is threatened on every side. Yet he does not lift a hand to defend himself. This can proceed only from one of two causes. Either he is a jinn, as he has told me, and they cannot kill him, and so he does not fear them, or else he desires death out of a sort of madness which he has grown up in him through his love of which he is always speaking. End of chapter 10